0: Welcome to Poke the Bear Podcast, Episode 3. I am Evan Maronofsky, here with host Connor Ryan of Boston Sports Journal. Connor, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing swell, Evan. How are you doing?
0: Doing great, doing great. So, uh, this episode we are going to dedicate to free agency, which has now been announced as October 9th. That's at least what the league is going with as of right now, October 9th. Uh, as I like to say, Tory Krug Decision Day. Yes. Uh, which I think that decision has already been made up. And we keep talking about this. So this episode is going to be all free agency. But um, the two contracts we're going to focus on with the Bruins are mainly Jake DeBrusque and Matt Grislich. Uh Mainly because we've already discussed Krug at length in the first two episodes. We've discussed Chara. We'll kind of touch on them quickly, what we think is going to happen with them. Uh, but it's mainly going to be RFAs, Jake DeBrusque, and Matt Grislich. Uh So – uh, we'll jump right into it because you know this is twice a week podcast. I see you all the time, Connor. We don't need to discuss our lives, and the, the people know what our lives are right now, which is watching the Celtics. Yeah, um, and just so, staring at
1: Twitter. That's all we do.
0: Just staring at Twitter, going. What I mean, the I guess you. Have, I, I guess you.
1: Have, I guess you have classes now, which I guess is important. But like, eh. no, it, it's not that important.
0: But I, what's funny is you mentioned Twitter the past few days with there being no Bruins content, no eggs interviews. It's like, well, what? do we tweet about?
1: Like- I mean, I, I just did, like, a, a throwback to, like, what was the highlight of the season, which I personally think was the, uh, the 2011 Bruins reunion, which, like, was, like, maybe one of the greatest days ever in, like, franchises history. Like, I mean, that was just hysterical. Like, they put that, when they put that together, they just let them run loose for, like, three hours getting hammered. And then just, like, the amount of content you got out of it was, like, unbelievable.
0: The best was Eric Russo sitting in the top left corner like, guys, guys, come on now. Like when he (laughs) entered back into the Zoom call, I mean, Eric Russo's this like, you know, really nice, well put together Bruins reporter. And he's in there with like, you know, (laughs) Milan Lucic and, you know, uh, freaking Gregory Campbell going at Marshawn. But the funniest part of that was, as you said, they just let them say whatever they wanted.
1: Yeah. So (laughs) like
0: what's so funny is I feel like I have all these recordings from that day, some of them have been scrubbed. Go figure. Um, but I have them. I feel like in like ten years, I'll be able to sell those clips, like oh, or yeah. something. Um, but that was a great. Uh, that was a great moment of the past year. That twenty eleven Zoom call. Um, really, that really was like the best moment of quarantine. Maybe like the entire time. Actually. Oh yeah, I mean,
1: like seriously, like shout out to them for putting that together. Because I mean, not only was it just like good, because like they were playing like that entire. 2011 run, like, every single day, like, leading up to it. So, like, you end with that one, and you get, like, all those guys there together. I mean, like, it was, it was great just to, like, one, just have all those guys in the same Zoom lobby, but just, you know, the fact that you had these guys just ripping on each other the entire time. Like, I mean, every, like, couple of minutes, you were cracking up off off of something someone said, or who chirped who, which is mostly just Gregory Campbell and Mashin going at each other. But, I mean, just, like, you could just tell from the first five minutes of that, that, like, it was just gonna go completely off the rails. Like, Makareki was switching to vodka, like, by, like, the start of the third period. And, like, he was, like... Tyler
0: Sagan wasn't there. Yeah,
1: just disappeared. Like, (laughs) I mean, like, you you just saw, you knew stuff was going to go haywire very quickly, which shockingly it did. So, but, I mean, for a Bruins fan, like, it was unbelievable.
0: What's so funny to me is with that whole thing, with that team, there was so much drama. They seemed older, than this scene. now maybe it's because we're older. Like we were, we were much younger when 2011 happened. I was in like sixth grade. I think
1: you were probably Jesus, in, in high school, no, I, I mean, was. I, I was about to. That was the end of my uh, senior year of high school. Yeah, I was going on to college. Yeah, I was much younger. Sixth grade. Jesus Christ, dude. But,
0: but still, they seemed a lot older, um, and they seemed a lot like there was, there was more drama with them. There was more. Like, they weren't as well put together as, as these current Bruins. Like, you can't tell me that, like, if the 2019 20 Bruins did, like, a, a Zoom call in 10 years, like, obviously, they'll be much older, but I don't think that it'll be near, it would not be nearly as funny or dramatic, I don't think, as that 2011.
1: Team. They, they should just bring in, like, Gregory Campbell and Lucic to that one, too. Have them be like, who are the, who are the two, like, wicked old dudes on uh, The Muppets who just trip everyone? There's two miserable dudes, you know, that are up in, like, yes. the, the balcony. Waldorf and I forget their names. But those two dudes who just chirp. Like, they're the original, like, play haters ball from Chappelle's show with those two old guys. Like, just have those guys show up in the 2019 Bruin Zoom call and have them just start roasting everyone.
0: Yeah. Like, this, this current team would be like, oh, you're bad at Fortnite. Oh, you're, you know, <laughs> you, 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 Jake, you don't shower or something. And, like, freaking, you know. See, that's what be. It, would just
1: be, it would be them just ripping on Jake DeBruski the entire time.
0: Yeah. So speaking of Jake DeBrusk, perfectly well. I'm glad you said that. There you go. Um, Jake DeBrusk up for a new contract, an RFA like Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo were last year. Uh, Jake DeBrusk RFA this year. So the Bruins currently have about fifteen and a half million in cap space uh, with the flat cap. So Connor, I want to hear your opinion. What do you think Jake DeBrusk gets?
1: Uh, I think you're probably going to be looking at a uh, you know another kind of bridge deal with with how the Bruins are going to approach it, just because. Again, I think, you know, you still, people still should be pretty high on what, you know, DeBrusque brings you, especially when he's on his game, but I just don't think, you know, he's been consistent enough to, you know, warrant a a long-term deal for the money he's probably looking for. Like, I mean, I think everyone has read that story about his agent saying that he's worth, you know, $6 million a year. He's not getting $6 million a year. I mean,
0: I, I, I wish I, someone would stand on the table and say that about me. Like, oh, Evan Maranovsky worth $6 exactly million yeah. dollars a well, year. Exactly.
1: And, like, people are like, were outraged by that or just, like, you know, dumbfounded by that. Like, it's not surprising. It's just, it's this friggin' agent. Of course he's going to, like, prop up his client. Like, he's doing his job. Like, mm-hmm. of course he's going to say that. And you can make the argument, you know, that he, you know, came close to 30 goals, you know, two years ago, last, you know, this. Past year, you know, if they didn't have the COVID pause, who knows? He gets on a hot streak, finishes with 25 goals or what have you. But still, I mean, just look at the production of what he brings. Um, you know, he's not going to be a guy who's going to make that kind of money um, off this new deal. So I think for the Bruins, it's pretty much going to be a. You know, I don't think it's like going to be like a one or a two year deal. I'd be kind of surprised if it's that length. But if it's like a three year deal and kind of a you know prove it, like you're still. Um, you know, they still value him of what he can bring, but you need to just put together a more consistent season for this team because, again, I think everyone knows DeBruss's game. And, you know, when he's on, he's, you know, deflecting pucks down low or bringing the puck into grade A ice and burying those chances. And I think the biggest thing for the Bruins is just for a guy like that, it's not just, you know, the fact that sometimes he can go on a, a, a cold streak scoring, right, where he'll go get five goals in like four games. And all of a sudden he has, you know, one secondary assist in nine games. Like there's that, the general offensive production. But I think when he's kind of fighting the puck and uh, in one of those lulls, you kind of see where he's not nearly as, you know, engaged. And that may not even be like a, you know, indictment on like effort or anything like that. I think it's just sometimes the puck's not going his way and he's just not, you know, in that great A ice where he's at least trying to make some things happen there. Like, I think, you know, you can kind of compare it to Andre Kasha where, um, you know, at the start of this playoff where he was at least generating those chances, like, yeah, he wasn't burying them, but it, like you saw him, you know, recovering loose pucks, you know, extending ozone time, uh, you know, generating those looks when is really fighting the puck, you, you know, it's sometimes it's tough to kind of notice him out there. And I think at the very least, you know, he's not going to be this guy who you're expecting. All right, you have to score 35 goals next year, but if he's, you know, 25 plus goals but you at least see that level of effort where he's generating you know consistent quality shots even when he's not burying them like I think you need to see more of that steady play from him you can't have him kind of just be invisible for three four games because if you know you're rolling out the same kind of top six next year you know you can't have you know a guy like him continuing to kind of have these um ups and downs in his game because you know Hopefully they get, you know, another top six guy that, you know, is more of a short deal because I think Debrusk is one of those guys where, you know, he's a good uh, second line left wing, but if also if you bumped him down to Coyle's line and had a, another legitimate guy there, it'd be a good problem to have because, like, I think he'd be great. It's kind of a guy who can get those mismatches, kind of like how Coyle is. But um, from the Bruins, though, I think you just need more consistent, consistency from him, and that's why I think you'd be looking at probably a bridge deal for at least his first big contract for him.
0: This is absolutely a bridge deal. I mean, you said it, uh, this is a totally a bridge deal. This is a prove me deal. This is a three year, three to $3.2 yeah. million dollar deal. Uh, that's what this is. That's what it should be. Um, and again, like <clears throat> the potential might be worth $6 million. Like, absolutely. You know, I mean, there's real potential with Jake DeBrusk, first round talent. You know, he, he, he is, he can be a goal scorer. He's proven it his whole career but can he do it consistently? And I think, as you said, that's pretty much everything it comes down to. And that's why you don't give him more than that amount of money, especially with the limited cap space you have. Not even now to resign sign Krug, because you're probably not going to, but to put in other places. Um, so he is someone I absolutely think will be a uh, short-term, bridge, prove-me type deal. I think that's what both sides want. I, I think... I don't think the Bruins would ever come to Nebraska right now with an eight year deal and say, Oh, let's do eight years, $40 million. This is, it wouldn't happen. Um, Now we got Matt Grislich, who I think is very interesting. We've said this a few times now. Um, He's also an RFA that this could be a year for him where he kind of steps into his own as, you know, not sheltered by Krug, not on the third pairing anymore, not kind of nursing a younger uh, reckless defenseman like Cliff, no, reckless in a good way. Cliffy Hockey, you know, reckless in the that's best, the best way. Reckless.
1: That's like should be the ultimate way to describe Conical Clifton is reckless in a good way. Like that's like the best way to just sum up his game.
0: Positive reckless abandon. Uh, that's yes. pretty much what he is, just running around the ice. Uh, or like a Jeremy Lazon. Now he gets to potentially play with Charlie McIlroy, which I think, as we've both said multiple times, is very, very good. So what do you think the Bruins are going to give him for his deal, especially since they probably don't want to lose him to Seattle.
1: Yeah, I think that's going to be kind of just a fascinating uh, development this off season. Obviously, it's not going to get the headlines as like Krug or something like that. But just kind of how they handle that contract negotiation, because as you said, I think he'd ideally be a guy that the Bruins probably would want to sign to a bit, maybe a bit of a longer term deal. You know, maybe for a good value of, uh, you know, let's, let's like spitball and say. You know, I've seen people say like maybe two and a half million, but I feel like he could get three, three and a half if they want to make it this long term or longer term deal of, you know, four, five, six years or something if they wanted to do that. Um, just because I think if you sign him to a deal like that where it's, you know, let's say three million or something annually and he steps into his own next year as the, you know, the top power play option and a guy who's with McAvoy and all of a sudden he's a guy who on the blue line is averaging, you know, 30 points a season or something like that and logging, you know, 21, 22 minutes a night for 3 million, that'd be a great deal. So it'd be interesting to see how they kind of handle that overall contract negotiation. Cause also, as you said, you know, I think if Krug walks, Grizzlik's a the guy they identify as a the guy they want to keep for the expansion draft, because if Krug's back, unless they do some real serious tinkering I don't really know how they keep a guy like Grizzlik who seems to be an obvious pick for a team that would want a puck moving guy like that on their blue line. So I think for the Bruins, it's one, you know, and again, you can never really tell how these RFA contracts work out. Like I think all of us thought that, you know, this was going to be this past off season, you know, they'd get Kahlo and McAvoy done. You just didn't really know what the term was going to be like. Is it going to be a three, four year deal? Then all of a sudden it's, you know, a two year deal for a few of those guys and legitimate bridge deals where it's just, we'll give you a little bit of a pay bump, but we're going to push this back a few years. So maybe they do that with Grizzly. But I think from the Bruins perspective, it'd be trying to lock that guy up long-term because I think, I think, you know, next year should be the year where you see him really kind of get that bump up in minutes and reps and offensive opportunities, which could, you know, uh, set him up for a big payday down the road if he wants to do a short term deal. But again, we have to see what his kind of priorities are because I mean he's a kid from Boston. We all know We all know the, the back story with Matt. He
0: is? I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, you know his dad You know uh, works at the Garden, too. It's crazy. Would
0: Seattle get his dad, too, if he went to... Maybe. It, it, Grizzik would lead the puck-moving defenseman. He'd lead the breakout on the ice. Uh, Grizzik's dad would lead, like, you know, the, the making the The, the, ice. Ice. the, 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 the Seattle Bull Gang. Seattle.
1: Um, but, yeah, I mean, you'd think that he'd be a guy who'd want to be here long-term on, obviously, with all the connections and stuff. So, that'll be an, an interesting one to see just how they kind of go about those negotiations. Cause it would seem like both parties would want to work out a long-term deal. It's just again, term. And I think especially now just the overall cap of what they're looking for. Cause you know, I think the Bruins want to keep him long-term, but if of course like, you know, he wants to wait another two, three years thinking like, Hey, I'm my production's going to jump up next year. I could probably make another one, one and a half million annually. If you know, we do a bridge deal and I sign one later. So that, I think, will be an interesting one to follow, just how it overall develops.
0: It's funny. Grizzlick, his deal this offseason gets overlooked because of Krug, because of Chara, even because of DeBrusque, but I think there's a weird chance this is the most interesting deal of all four, because it's mm-hmm. sort of the most, it's the least predictable in the sense that I think, as we've said, you know, this is the year for Grizzlick. It feels like this is going to be the year where we see as, you know, if he's on the top power play unit, that's an extra 15 points which means that's an extra million or a million and a half dollars easily. So it does feel like the Bruins could see that and say, let's lock him up long-term to a deal that might look a little bit expensive now, but very inexpensive in four to five years. Mm-hmm. You could see them do a five-year deal with a three and a half annual val- million annual value. You, know, you could see that, and that's palatable too. You could do that with the current cap, and that works really well in the future. I also think he's someone who's going to take less to stay here longer. I think he totally knows – that if Krug stays, he's, he's, um, he's a potential guy to go to Seattle. And quite frankly, as we both said, Boston guy, I don't think he wants to go anywhere else. Um, and I think he likes it here. He enjoys it here. Went to college here. You know you covered him. So um, I think that for them, a five-year deal, six-year deal worth three and a half, maybe three, seven, five. Mm-hmm. that's not a bad deal, especially considering what he could become. So very interested to see what happens with Grizzlick. I think that might actually be the most interesting one. Um, and that sparks some interest in me just now, talking about Grislik's deal, because we kind of forget about it, even though I think in the next coming years we won't be forgetting about Grislik anytime soon. Speaking of the next coming years, you might want to bet on a guy like Matt Grizzlick. And nice. if you want to bet on a guy like Matt Grizzlick, you go to BetUS. Connor, tell the people about Bet BetUS.
1: Absolutely, Evan. So uh, listen up, sports bettors. This is Connor Ryan here to tell you about my favorite sports book, and that's BetUS. Football, basketball, and baseball are all back, and that means it's time to get down your bets. I only endorse one sports book, and that's BetUS.com. Why do you ask? It's because BetUS is the pioneer in online betting with more than 25 years in the business. You need a sports book with integrity and longevity. You need to know that you're going to get paid need a sports book that offers everything, including live betting, MMA, golf, horses, e-sports, entertainment, and all kinds of crazy prop bets and futures. So call today at 1-800-79-BET-US. That's 1-800-79-BET-US. They will walk you through getting started. No one in the industry gives you bigger bonuses than BET-US. So join now. Mention me, Connor Ryan. Connor with one N. And you can get up to 150% in bonuses on your first deposit. No one beats that. 25 years in the business, the best bonuses, BetUS should be your sportsbook. So join today. Call 1-800-79-BETUS or go to BetUS.com. Remember, mention me, Connor Ryan, Connor with one N, to get your bonus. So
0: that's that. BetUS, go there now. Uh, so we kind of opened the show talking about the 2011 team and reminiscing on the past. And because we're talking about free agency, we might as well look back at some of the top 10 uh, free agents the Bruins have inked uh, in the past 15 or so years. Yeah. Feels like that 15 is post lockout. Right? Yeah. Post lockout. That's the best way to put it. So uh, the Bruins have done well in the free agent signing area in the last, you know, 15, 16 years. They've had a multitude of GMs. You know, you had Shirelli, you had Sweeney, you had uh, Hort- Gorton, right? Was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gordon. <laughs> Uh, which might have been the most successful of the three, ironically enough.
1: In like Uh, three full months, he ran ran
0: things. (laughs) Ran it for like two seconds, basically built a Stanley Cup champion. But um, so I get a kick out of this. So you wrote the story back in July, uh, back in the dog days of nothingness of the pandemic. Uh, Mm -hmm. You ranked the top 10 free agents uh, that the Bruins have signed post-lockout. So we're going to go 10 to 1, giving you an idea of some past sort of what they've done maybe for you know kind of what is that forecast for the future for the Bruins um, in signing free agents because I think if you don't sign Krug you have a lot of you know you have a good amount of money to sign one maybe even two um, and I think we'll get to that in later shows of who they could uh, ink later on I love that word ink it's so easy instead of sign because you write sign a yes. hundred times you got to throw ink in there a few times yeah um, so number ten this is a blast from the past and if you have a jersey of this guy I would like to say I would love for you to send a picture to us uh, of this jersey. Number 10, Glenn Metropolit signed a one-year deal on October 3rd, 2007. Favorite part of this, terms were never disclosed. I mean, back in, in the good
1: old day where you just couldn't, you're like, all right, well, he's here, I guess. So, I guess you know, he's getting paid. Who knows what he's getting.
0: <laughs> he's getting his three meals a day. That's what we're paying him. Um, <laughs> finished the season, 82 games played, 11 goals, 22 assists. If I remember correctly, he was a strong, was it third or fourth line?
1: He kind of bounced in between, but I think maybe you saw him, especially at the end, a little bit on the third line, too. I mean, he, like, did a little bit of everything for that team. You look at kind of those, uh, you know, bottom six guys that you just pick up, and you see, it's like, all right, you know, you know what your minutes are, your assignments, you know, you'll get PK time, but he even, I think, saw time on, like, the power play, too, which I think helped bump up his numbers, but, uh, you're talking about a guy like him who I think was, like, a camp, you know, invite. Like, he wasn't even, like, he was kind of a journeyman at that point in his career. Like, he was, 33 years old. Like you, it wasn't like some of these other guys you find like, you know, Tim Schaller, who maybe if you put him in that role with Boston as kind of a younger guy and kind of give him a defined role and he fits in well, which you've seen over the years. Um, I think for a guy like uh metropolitan, it was like, all right, we'll bring him along. We'll see how he does. You know, he's been on like, I think like four teams in the last three seasons or something like that. And then he, I mean, he fit in seamlessly for that, that team that, you know, put together that first kind of step forward with this core of being a club that was going to contend. I mean, they bring Montreal to seven, seven games, you know, first place Montreal team. Um, So I think Metropolitan, you know, the Bruins have had a lot of success over the years with these bottom six pickup guys. And I think Metropolitan's easily one of the ones that really stands out just in terms of everything he provided to that team, especially given what the expectations were for him going into the season.
0: Yeah, I mean, that team was pretty much the team that set the, the tone for now. I mean, that that 07, 8 team set the tone for 13, 14, 15 years of Bruins teams. And he was a part of that. I mean, it, he was a legitimate part of that team. Um, and, you know, again, that team had that electric seven-game series with the Canadians.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, again, I mean, he was, he was a veteran presence on a team that, you know, didn't have a ton of veterans. They had that core. You know, they had the young Bergeron. Charo who wasn't really young, but we think of as young because it was back yeah, then. Yeah, exactly. Like Twenty
1: nine or thirty thirty, they, maybe at that point even. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like he was. Old. Well, yeah, because he's forty three now. So he was. In, he was in his early thirties, which yeah. you know. I mean, now like, like Krejci on,
1: was Krejci was wicked young there. I mean, Savard he was, was younger. Yeah. Like.
0: Yeah. That was a that was a younger team, and that you know he was a veteran who came in and, and made a legitimate uh, legitimate difference on a team that made a huge difference in Bruins history. Number nine, Sean Thornton. We all love Thornton. Uh, signed three years, one point five five million dollar deal on July first, two thousand seven. I mean, the numbers are what they are. I, I you know thirty four goals in four hundred eighty games, but obviously his impact went way farther than that. I mean, he was pretty much a you know, he became he was a journeyman fighter who became basically a Bruin for life. I mean, that was sort of the idea with him. Um, even though he went on to other places, I mean, everyone thinks of him as a Bruin um, around here for a while. Huge presence in the room, great fighter, big in Boston with with charities. I mean, you know, is there any chance the Bruins sign a guy like Thornton this offseason?
1: I mean like that's what I think ever I think Sean Thornton's the one who kind of revitalized that take of the Bruins Anita Sean Thornton's the one who brought back the Bruins in enforcer angle which I mean Bruins is a kind of a a test which is kind of a testament to what he brought though I mean you look at what he signed you know he was only I think like 515,000 against the cap on that first deal he signed back in 07 and we talk about that 07 08 team is set in kind of the The foundations for the club that, you know, started this run over a decade ago. And I think a guy like Thornton plays into it. And again, as you said, the numbers are what they are, even though he did have like 20 points during the the cup year in 2010-11. So, I mean, he still, you know, had his chances. He had that sick, uh, penalty shot. Do you remember that? Oh, I
0: was that crazy. Highlight goal. goal.
1: (laughs) Yeah, nuts. But, uh, I think just what he brought though, in terms of, you know, being a, a veteran guy, a guy that, you know, held that room accountable with a lot of younger players on it. Um, a guy who, you know, jumps into the lineup in the cup final against Vancouver and really was an equalizer of knocking around that that Vancouver team. Um, I just think, you know, based on, you know, what his value was of what you signed him for, what he, bro- what he provided in the role that, you know, you carved out for him and kind of just, you know, the kind of reputation he built here in Boston. I mean, he's a guy who I think if you saw at a, a pub in Charlestown or something, you'd be like, oh, yeah, this guy's been living here for like – 35 years, he hasn't left, but like, He's a talented. He fit, yeah, he just fits seamlessly in for kind of just the culture and that team. And he was exactly what that team needed at that time, uh, especially when you just look at how that fit was.
0: Yeah. I mean, the veteran presence, he was the, he, I think he came in, my memory might be wrong here, but I think he came in to kind of replace Jeremy Reach mm-hmm. as the fighter because yeah. Jeremy Reach in 06, 07 was like their big fighter yeah. and they had Thornton come in. But obviously, Thornton did a, a, a ton more. Um, and again, a guy who set the tone. And when Thornton was on the Bruins, that team was so good. For, for the entire tenure, he was there. I mean, 07 to 14, mm-hmm. I think, was, is kind of like the golden age of that, of that core. Mm-hmm. Thornton was a huge part of it on that fourth line with, with Campbell and Paillé. Uh Number eight, I lo- this one I think could have been higher. Uh, yeah. Michael Ryder. Three years twelve million on July first two thousand and eight he had cut, came from Montreal just after Montreal beat the Bruins.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, he was here for oh eight oh nine oh nine ten ten eleven and then did he leave after the cup
1: yes, he did right
0: I think he did i don't remember yeah, on the think 11, it was 12. just a three
1: I think it was just three year deal
0: yeah, dynamite dynamite signing I mean you know when you look at the scoring punch he provided, especially in that third line, you know that 08, 09 season, and then the, the cup season. Oh, my goodness.
1: I mean, you can, draw, mean, par- you can draw parallels to what the Bruins need this offseason of, like, that's a guy that, you know you, you know, you identified in that 07, 08 season. You come up short against a, a Montreal team that was much better than you. You know, you realize where you had a young core, you had just something you had to put over the top. And what did they do? They identified a guy like Ryder, who I think had 30 goals in maybe two of the last three years. He was in Montreal. And I think, you know, from what what he signed, and I remember when he signed that deal, people were like, I, I always remember, I forget what radio station it was, but it, people were mad because I think people wanted, like, them to go all in to get, like, Marion Hosa because I think he was a free agent. And they settled and they settled on Michael Ryder, who, like, I mean, you look at just the production, he brought, like, his first year, that 8 09 Bruins team, which was just a, a wagon the entire year. I mean, he scores, I think, 27 goals there. And then going forward, you know, maybe his regular season production wasn't, what you were expecting, I guess, maybe. I mean, he didn't, like, hit, you know, 25-plus goals his last two years, but all that is made up for what he brought in that 2011 uh, run. I mean, I think he had 17 points in 25 games. He had that, you know, the glove stop against, I think, Volcanic against Montreal. I mean, he had so many highlights uh, for that team. And you look at how dominant, you know, how deep that Bruins team was during that entire cup run would feel like every game some of the guys stepped up a rider, especially on that third line, was just dynamite that entire run. So for a guy who's only here three years in that contract, what he signed, I think he's well worth, you know, what they paid for to get him.
0: Yeah, so I agree. I mean, and also the goal on Luongo that went just right under his glove, the little wrist shot, I think it was game four. Yes. Maybe I could be wrong. It was just a little wrist shot from above the top of the circle. I mean, he had a missile. But Luongo was obviously missing everything in that series. Uh, number seven, Jerome McGinley. One-year, $6 million deal on uh, July 5th, 2013. Should have come earlier. Should have been traded at the deadline, which I love the deal that was going to happen. First-rounder, Alexander Kovalechev and Barkowski to the Flames. Uh, for the 23rd, for, for the, for again, which would have been a steal of a deal for Shirelli. I mean, which,
1: which also you do know though, that if that deal went through, you would also have about 25% of Bruins fans be like, you can't get rid of Bokowski, man. Like Chabra's retiring in 2015. So who are we going to replace him with? Like, which is why at this point now, just, you know, you don't need some of these prospects. Like you just go all in, like you need to go win now. So again, these are the prospects you, if you hoard all of them, you're going to have deals like these that fall through, which obviously wasn't their fault that this deal fell through. It was again own fault. But and just, the best
0: part was they beat him in the conference final in four right.
1: games, which is also, again, you look back on it now, and you're like, well, you know, it's good if they, you know, they got their kind of comma of beating them in four games, but man, if that trade went through, you lose to Chicago in six games, like Jerome McGinley really would have helped you out there.
0: That's the thing. I mean, again, might've been the difference maker um, in that, in that series for the Bruins absolutely could have been, um, the best part about the Aginla thing was that that might be, unless you include Rick Nash, Krejci's last legit top six right winger. Yeah, that, That's his last one. I mean, that's Horton, and Aginla, then nothing for a while, then Nash for like a couple games, and then nothing, and then now kind of Kasha, but we don't really know. So Aginla was sort of the last of that. You know, power forward, good, solid guy next to uh, – it.
1: And great, and great. for a guy who is also, I think, you know, I, the reason I think we – I ranked him over Ryder, which, again, I think you could flip up those guys or even put Ryder higher up, you know, I, I think, you know, there's definitely an argument there. I think for – again, it was the fact that you signed him, and I think it's only like $1.8 million against the cap that year that you signed him, and he gives you 30 goals for a team that won the President's Trophy. Like, he was well worth the money. The problem is, is all of his bonuses got bumped into next year. And I think he had like $4.2 million in bonuses next year. And next year is where everything went to shit, right? Next year is where they were in cap hell. You had to trade Boychuck you, just to get under the cap. You couldn't offer Tory Krug in a long-term deal. You got to sign him to like a one-year deal after kind of the run he had. So it's a little bit of a double-edged sword when you look at Gimla's run just in terms of the contract they signed. Not really of his own fault, but you look at what he was paid for his one year in Boston. And I think it was well worth the production you got from him for a 30-goal scorer.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So the next two, number six and five, we'll go through quick just because they're recent. Number six, Riley Nash. Uh, Riley Nash obviously was – I think this is a little high on the list, but I do think that he was solid, especially in that uncertain 2016 through 2018 time period. He was a very good, solid veteran. Ironically, Huchara crushed the next year against the Blue Jackets. Right.
1: Um, I, th- I think also. I mean, you look at just for him the price tag too. Uh, you know, nine hundred thousand, nine hundred thousand bucks for each of his years, and especially his final year here. I mean, he was a key cog on that third line with Backus and Heinen. But then you bumped him up. You know, when Bergeron got hurt, he had I think a fractured foot. That could have been a, a, yes. a point where they could have gone off the rails. That team. You put Riley Nash as your top line center next to Moshin and Pasanak and they played for thirteen games, and Nash had thirteen points. I mean, yes, the guy had 40, I remember this. 41 points, 15 goals for $900,000. I mean, that was just a – you look at, again, we say all these great bottom six guys the Bruins have picked up. Nash was an absolute steal. I mean, he was he was d- dynamite for those two years he was here. Absolutely
0: agree. Number five, Halak. We know Halak's value. We've said this a thousand times. Uh, Yaroslav Halak, number five, two years, $5.5 5 million deal. Uh, then now things get interesting in the top four. Number four, Mark Savard. Mm-hmm. Signed a four-year, $20 million deal on July 1st, 2006. It was really, along with Chara, who we'll get to in a little bit, um, a huge tone setter for this whole thing. And, and as you say, one of the top what-if storylines uh, with the Bruins, I think maybe the top what-if, uh, if Savard is healthy. I mean, what does that mean for the future of Bergeron and Krejci? Do the Bruins have more success? Do they have to trade Krejci? Like, what happens there? So um, horrible end to his career. Couldn't have been worse, but definitely, definitely a top free agent signing. I mean, I think you would agree.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, again, it's, I think his place could he be even higher if he just didn't have that horrible that horrible hit that he took from Matt Cook in that game. Because, I mean, you look at him, I think, you know, 305 career points for the Bruins in 304 games. I mean – that Bruins team after that Joe Thornton trade, they very well, you know, could have been completely rudderless for a couple of years. And what do they do? They get a guy who will be higher up on this list that we'll talk about in a few minutes. And then you replace Thornton with a you know, top line center and Savard who completely ran with it and, and was dynamic over those first few years, especially as, you know, his his play allowed you to let guys like Bergeron and Krejci develop without kind of just thrusting them into that top six role right away you know it it allowed them to let those guys kind of come along and develop While Savar was their top option there so what he brought especially for a team that was in transition that again could have gone off the rails if you signed a a bad contract or two i mean he was just key in getting that team back on track
0: absolutely um and then number three Tori krug uh people forget that the the signing because it really wasn't that significant at the time Mm -hmm. three years 5.112 million dollar deal on march 25th 2012 that's obviously paid off pretty well krug has had himself quite the career and uh could be departing probably will be departing this this uh this winter but incredible signing out of college.
1: Yeah, for an undrafted guy who, I mean, his first taste of the NHL, you know, first legitimate look is in that playoff run against uh, the Rangers where, you know, he gets, I think, three goals in four games against prime Lundqvist, quickly became a key cog, a guy who quickly became kind of the power play quarterback for that team. And it's, again, a shame. We look back at that 2019 Cup and what could have been, but for a guy who could leave Boston, as I think he mentioned, as, you know, the longest tenured, athlete in Boston without a championship. Um, A guy like him who during that run in 2019 had so many great moments. I mean, he got the hit on Rob Thomas, obviously, but, you know, production-wise he was great. He had, I think, the most assists of any NHL, NHLer in that playoff run. Uh, You know, that game six against Toronto in the first round with the backs against the wall, he had one of his, I think, his best games. He was dynamic there. So he's just done so much for this franchise for a guy that was, again, an undrafted free agent with a chip on his shoulder. And over his eight years in Boston, um, you know, proved to be a guy who was well worth kind of the, the deal that Boston handed him back then.
0: It's funny. You wonder if the Bruins had won that 2019 cup final. If a moment like the hit on Robert Thomas becomes a statue, I know that sounds really stupid, but it's funny. Like you look at the moments in that series, there were so many good ones. The hit char playing through a broken jaw, um, if that, if they win that series, I mean, those become, you know, incredible Boston sports moments, like on a different level of that.
1: Um, oh yeah. I mean, you even look at like the, you know, we said with like the Michael Ryder glove stop, like that's one where everyone talks about. And I was in the first round against Montreal, the, exactly. the one that they won, you know, like now you look back at all those memories from 2019 and they're still great moments, but like you still, it, it ends with the same shitty result that you don't really want to talk about right
0: but what's funny to me is like the 2013 cup final they lost and they had the unfortunate result but you know we look at the comeback against toronto in the same kind of light like oh my yes. god like that was insane and mm-hmm. and you know the krug uh three goals in four games and the win over the penguins so i think there just weren't i, I don't know i, I just didn't if they had won in 2019, obviously, I think all those moments become so much bigger. Uh, back onto the free agents and uh, free agent rankings. So now we're in the top two. I think you know what number one is, but number two, you might forget Tim Thomas, one year, $450,000 on September 14th, 2005. Such an insignificant signing at the time, but wins you a cup.
1: where he played very sparingly the NHL during the lockout goes to Finland and, like, puts him on, like, an absurd run. He had, like, 15 shutouts for the team he was playing with in Finland and won, I think, like, the MVP of the Finnish Elite League. And then, you know, was supposed to come back to Finland in 2005-2006 but had, like, an out clause. And the Bruins, again, signed him to a one-year deal for, as you said, 450 like you know, pennies on the dollar. as just an insurance because you think they were going in with Raycroft and Hanum Toivanen and like oh, Hanum Toivanen. Yeah, and, and for you know Tim Thomas at that point, like he's already I think 31 when he signed that deal. Like you're like, all right, this guy's just depth. You know, we you know we're just having him as an extra insurance just in case. And I mean, I think you know we don't have to wax poetic about what he provided. I mean, the rest is history with him. But for them to sign him to that deal, you know, like that. Um, was just you know a franchise-altering move to say the least.
0: He had such a huge impact. You think about it. I mean, he has basically created a, such a large shadow that Tuukka Rask is still playing in Thomas's shadow ten years later. Yep. Like that the the fact that like people kind of forget this after the like during the oh nine ten season, obviously Rask took over as starter. There was it was not widely thought that. Thomas would just get the job back the next year. Like oh yeah, it, it started with the second game of the season in 2010, 2011, but going in, no one really thought, I mean, they thought, oh, it's Rask's net now. Like that's just what they're going to have yeah. going forward. Um, and Thomas took the job back. Thomas won them a cup. Then Thomas had the next good season and then he was gone. But I mean, you just look at the impact he had in the short time he was here. It was insane. Number one is Chara. Obviously, you know, we, we can, Go you, could make, you
1: could make for, the argument, this is the best, maybe best free agent signing ever, up there, in terms of altering. Yeah, I mean, altering. Like,
0: set the tone for 15 years.
1: Yeah, um, unbelievable signing. I mean, I mean, I don't think, like Thomas, we don't have to wax poetic about it, but just what he provided on the ice, what he still is providing, you know, we'll see what happens this off season, but provides on the ice, off the ice, just setting uh, the tone for the team and the core that is still bringing you success you know years later now um, I think just what he provided was completely a, a franchise altering move
0: I mean you look at a guy like Char I mean the consummate pro I think if you're building a hockey team and you want a captain I don't think there's anyone in the league you want more than Chara as your leader as your go-to guide in a locker room on the ice doesn't matter you know just a total leader uh, and we see it I mean it's He's such a rare breed. You don't see a lot of him anymore, but, I mean, just what a freaking leader and what a a total freak.
1: And and Um, also, I I think a guy that uh, you look back when he finally does retire, and I think everyone knew from, like, let's say from, like, you know, 06 to 2012, 2013, whatever, everyone knew how great of a player he was, right, a perennial Norris trophy candidate. But, like, I think you're going to look back at that run he had and just – you know, feel like even then he was underrated in terms of what, like the fact that he only won one Norris trophy for a guy who you can make a case is maybe the best, just one-on-one shutdown guy in the league. Like there's other, obviously greater defensemen in terms of everything they could do, but just in terms of defensive stopper, what he, the minutes he logged, um, you know, ability to play on the power play, obviously anchoring a PK, just a freak of what, what he was during his prime. Like I think people take it for granted just how damn good he was.
0: Oh yeah, like has he ever really been fast? No, but he's made up for it in every sense of the word. Um, and the fact that this sounds really stupid, but the fact that he's even able to stick handle at mm-hmm. six nine on skates um, to me was it always no impressive. Sense. It doesn't yeah. make sense. It makes no physical sense, but neither does anything about him. But it's, it just keeps going. He's gonna play until he's fifty seven. Um, Connor, this was this has been a lot of fun. Uh, with all the ranking, all the free agents, we're still getting set on what days these podcasts come out. Uh, poke the bear brought to you by bet us. But yeah, this was a blast. Is there anything you're working on that you want to sort of promote before
1: we head out? Yeah. I mean, we're going to have a whole bunch of stuff this week, just, you know, looking back to the last year, looking forward. I think, you know, we should probably be getting a few more zoom calls with, uh, you know, either players or management in the next couple of days, hopefully. So especially once we talk to Don Sweeney, I think we'll have a good idea of kind of their outlook for this upcoming off season. Cause uh, as we've said multiple times, they got to make some moves. So, um, there'll be a whole bunch of stuff to dive deep into so we'll have stuff on boston dot com and again i'll be here with you evan at some point this week breaking down kind of what lies ahead sounds like a
0: plan connor as always thank you very much and for all the listeners have a great rest of your day